Okay, 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Okay, be holy. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Amen. We have an amazing passage in front of us. Um, so this morning, just to get a bit of context, um, the, this letter was uh, written to no specific church. It was um, actually written to a number of churches scattered throughout uh, the cities and they're all under the um, Emperor Nero, the, the Roman Emperor at the time. And at that time, to be a Christian meant to be persecuted. Um, so Peter was writing this letter to urge them to keep persevering um, because they have something amazing up ahead and that evolves all around a man called Jesus. And so this morning we're going to look at that living hope that we have in Jesus and how it should be lived out here on earth. And if you have a look, verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. So let's pray now that God would help us to do that. Dear Father, as we come before your word, we pray that you would make clear the hope that you present to us and the, the need to reshape our lives in response to this hope. I pray your spirit might work in us to enable this to happen. Amen. In a few weeks' time, Amanda and I um, are going to be moving house. And so we're pretty excited about it. Because at the moment we're living out of town and um, it's at my parents' house and um, they, they're there every weekend. So it'll be a good move. It, it'll, be, um, it'll be great to, to move back into town and, and avoid all that travelling. But a new house, it's exciting, isn't it? Something to look forward to, something to have up ahead. It's also something to prepare for. Do you have a day up ahead that you're looking forward to? Is it a new house or perhaps a family gathering? Or maybe that long-awaited holiday over Christmas? 
or perhaps um, there might be very little to look forward to and there's, there's no day ahead that you're, you're longing for. Well, either way, in 1 Peter, we see that there's a day worth looking forward to, a day greater than any other day that we can look forward to. Have a read from the second half of verse 13. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Well, this is more than a just moving house. This is the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. And it's the day we're going to see the full reality of God's grace. The second coming of Christ. This time he's not coming to save us because that was completed last time. This time he's coming to rip his creation apart and to bring an end to this current age and to bring on an everlasting age. See, for those who are his, he's coming to bring his people home to eternity with him. It's a, it's a big house move for all of us who trust in him. And it's all Jesus. So it was Jesus that gave us that hope to begin with by dying on the cross. And he's the one that's been appointed to return to bring it all to reality. So I don't know if you've thought about this much, but one day we're guaranteed to stand face to face with Jesus. And that could be in a few days if he returns or it might be when we die and that could also be in a few days. But Christ will come in full power before us. It'd be the most crazy thing to witness. I reckon even crazier than creation itself. I always like seeing things destroyed more than created, like a, a building getting knocked down. And um, it'll be amazing, all the elements crushed. So there's a huge day up ahead. And as a result, Peter says in verse 13, we should have it as part of our whole lives. Peter says it's something to set our hope fully upon. It's really worth looking forward to, more than a house move. See, the thing with moving house, you need to be prepared. Um, We've done it once already this year, and there's a little bit of preparation. You've got to pack, and you've got to work out transport and organise people to lift the stuff. In the same way, but in a much bigger way, we're people born into a living hope, and that means preparation. That means changing our lives. It doesn't mean we start packing boxes, but it means we start changing our attitude, putting off the old self and putting on a new. So verse 13, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Peter says, first, set your hope fully on Christ, and then go straight into what that means. Don't conform to the evil desires. That's how you used to live. Instead, be holy, because he is holy. But what does it mean to be holy? The word holy appears a lot in the Bible, um, especially in the Old Testament. Um, The quote from verse 16 is actually from the Old Testament in Leviticus. Um, It's something that God commands the Israelites, be holy because I am holy. So they were surrounded by other nations and they were all living their own um, wicked ways and they sacrificed to man-made gods. And so God set them apart and made them his people to be different to the other nations, to treat God as God 
and to be holy as he's holy. So that's what holy means, to be set apart by God, to be made different. And so here where Paul, uh, sorry, Peter presents us with that same challenge. Be holy, because he's holy. See, to have this hope means to live holy as a result, to treat God as God and to be different. How are you going at being different? As in verse 14, be as obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So we have this great hope. This hope is all about Christ. He started it and he's going to bring it to fulfilment. And we've seen that it means change. It's a hope calling for action in our lives. And the hope and action go hand in hand. If that's not challenging enough, Peter reminds us some characteristics of God, which is the basis of our hope. And this is something that the world finds unpopular, even offensive. Um, So keep with me as we look into it. Um, Take a look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. See, if God judges each man's work impartially, if God judges our whole lives justly, where does that leave us? The perfect judge looking upon people like us. See, God doesn't look overlook sin. Um, God's perfect in justice. And we'll have to one day give account to everything we've done. I want you to imagine this. A young child is playing on the beach and in his mind he's, he's, his mind is filled with all sorts of fantasies and he's building a sandcastle. So in his mind he's building a whole kingdom for himself where he's the king. And so he patches up a, a slight crack in the side and, and his kingdom is perfect. But little does he know that the tide's coming in behind him and with one big wave his castle tumbles with all its short-lived dreams and reality sets in and he bursts into tears. It's blissful ignorance before the wave breaks and reality hits. And Peter says it's like that for all of us. As we go about building our lives, ignoring God and his promises, he's bringing in the tide as sure as death is for everyone. But this wave won't just destroy the castle we build, it won't just destroy the things that we, we do and built. Um, It won't destroy our money and it won't just destroy our selfish desires and our false hope. But instead, it'll destroy our whole lives. Our whole lives will be judged by God. So apart from Christ, we will perish because of rejecting God, because of sin. So take, take a look down at verse 24. Peter says, For all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. See, what a hopeless state. What a temporary state that is, that the grass withers and the flowers fall. See, we are on our own, only face that death and judgment. So we need more than an empty hope. We need rescuing. And apart from God's grace and mercy, what can buy us from that cost of rejecting God? What can settle such a debt? So read on from verse 18. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ 
a lamb without blemish or defect. See, God obviously couldn't pay gold or silver to rescue us. It took something far more valuable, something that doesn't perish. It's God's own son. Because Jesus, unlike us, he lived perfectly. He was a lamb without blemish or defect. And he was God, so he wasn't perishable. And so he was chosen to pay for our sin. So it still stands that God must punish sin. But we, by a mercy that I don't even understand, if we trust in the blood of Jesus, Jesus takes the punishment for us. It took the imperishable to save us. Read on from verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and your hope are in God. See, nothing less than that perfect sacrifice to transform our lives, to restore us from sin and the death that sin brings. It's an amazing transformation, isn't it? It's from a temporary hopeless existence to an imperishable, hope-filled existence. Verse 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. See, can you grasp an understanding of that love? I, I find it difficult. I think it takes more than a lifetime to really understand, to really comprehend it. But that is the foundation of our living hope, the purchase from sin so costly. That it was paid by the life of the most innocent man. And see, without it, we have no hope. Or in ignorance, perhaps we could have an empty hope, something like what so many people go for, that sandcastle, that wishful thinking, that nice possibility for the afterlife. See, forget that stuff. Christ gives us a priceless hope. God didn't do anything in half measures. So now we have this great hope. And this hope that calls for action in our lives is a hope bought from hopelessness. So as a result, do we see ourselves in that hope, holy and set apart from hopelessness? So what, what should that look like in our lives? And what, it, what did it look like for the Israelites? Being holy for the Israelites meant living for God. It meant living obediently for to God alone, as opposed to living for the world. So if we trust in Jesus who bought our hope, if we choose to live for God, who do we fear when making decisions? Is it God or is it other things? Is it people or failure? See, verse 17 says, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. So if we're called to live in reverent fear of God, as strangers to the world. Each day, what are we concerned with? Is it building security in life here on earth? It's a crazy idea when you think about it, isn't it? It's like building our, our lives as sandcastles, having security in things that perish. It's perishable security. It's an oxymoron. It's um, no security at all. But so often we try, and it's when we listen to the world that says build these things, that we forget to listen to God, we forget to be holy and set apart. So the world says, you need that secure job and you need that bigger house and you need that future security for your family. 
But God says, live your lives as strangers in the world. Be holy and set apart. Because what you really need is already given freely as a gift at the expense of Christ. See, does that secure job make you forget the, the real security that we have in Christ? Or does that bigger house make you forget the real treasure of having a relationship with God, treasure for eternity? Or does that building the future security for your family point them, point them away from the hope that we have in Christ? So this is so important for parents. Do you know that you're accountable for the lives of your kids? Are you pointing them to Jesus or are you pointing them to things that perish? So the world says hope for more money because it will make you happy or or that better job because it's more satisfying or those better relationships because it's more about number one. But God says live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Be set apart because what we really need is given at the expense of Christ. See, job um, skills and money and relationships, if we have our hope set on Christ, can't we use these things to not promote false hope? Um, But they're God-given gifts, so can't we use them to build his kingdom and to have others come to know Christ? What fills your mind each day? Is it based on a reverent fear of God? Is it based on the hope that he's lavished on us? Or is it on worldly things, on things that perish? Or perhaps um, it's your own desires that drive you. I know it sometimes is for me. Instead of fearing God, we, we live to please our fears and our emotions and we fall victim to them. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Let's uh, stop and think about these. All kinds of deceit. Those white lies just to cover myself at work. The hypocrisy. Man, he's hopeless. He never gets it right. Me, I, I rarely stuff up. Or envy. Man, I wish I had his pay packet. That would make life so much easier. And these are things that I struggle with. Things that I think or say. And I could go on. What distractions do you face? What things stop you from being holy? So Peter says, rid yourself of such things. We have a hope that puts an end to those worldly desires. And in replace of those desires, Peter says, verse 2, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Well, we have tasted that the Lord is good. We've seen his goodness revealed in Jesus. And so we're to crave pure spiritual milk. But before heading down to the, the Byron or the Nimmin markets for a carton of the spiritual milk, um, what, is, what is the spiritual milk? Well, was, we've seen before God's all about imperishable. And so he's got something else that's imperishable, that lasts. That's no ordinary run-of-the-mill run of the mill spiritual milk. It's um, long life spiritual milk and he's already given it to us in chapter 1 verse 23 he says for you have been born again not a perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of god and again in verse 25 the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of the lord stands forever 
It's the word of the Lord, the word of God, that's spoken through the pages of the Bible. See, it's living and enduring, and it lasts forever. And in it, we can feed on that pure spiritual milk. See, spending time in God's word, it reminds us of the rich hope that we have. And by by it and God's spirit, it turns us from worldly desires. And in it, that we can taste that the Lord is amazingly good. And so don't feel guilty over not reading God's word. So guilt's not going to drive us to, to want to read it more. But instead, crave it, desire it. Peter says, look forward to the ne- next thing that God's going to teach us because he's preparing us for the new home with him. So God, despite our sin, has given us this new hope. He's transformed us fallen man, perishable and destined to death, into imperishable and destined for eternity with him. So think of those things that you're you're looking forward to, those things you long for, and how much worthwhile is it looking forward to eternity with him? How can we have a greater hope than that? And such a hope can only demand change in our lives, to put off our old selves. Remember the challenge that we faced at the beginning. Prepare your minds for action. Are you willing to action the hope that you have? Remembering the the price that God paid, his only son, Jesus. Let's um, pray now that God would help us to do that. Dear Father, we thank you for the extent that you went to to buy us from sin, that you have given us a great new hope, a hope that never perishes. Um, We pray that we'll act on the hope that we have by giving you our lives and fearing only you. Father, we pray that you would spur us on to, to read your word, that, that spiritual milk that we need to, to trust in you and to keep persevering. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.